And as you do, I need to, to pray. Lord, thank you. Thank you so much for your presence and your spirit that's here today. And God, we know that what we just saying is true. You're the only one who can do what we need you to do today. And as we turn our attention to your word, we pray that you would speak life into this room. Lord, I pray for transformation, transformation of hearts and minds today. I pray for transformation in, our, in the way we have understood the word. And God, if there's something here today that as we unpack, Lord, that maybe we've never understood it quite the way we need to, God, give us spiritual wisdom and understanding today. And God, that as we unpack your word today, that you would do what we just sang. You're the only one who can do it. God, anoint me today to speak your word, and we thank you for what you're going to say in Christ's name, amen. Romans chapter 5. So we're in a series of messages right now called Fierce 40. We, uh, we began five weeks ago. If you're new to our church family, I challenged our church five weeks ago after coming out of a series on the armor of God throughout the summer. I challenged our church family to spend the next 40 days in the Word of God. And we created a, a, a Bible reading plan that if you're new and you want to get one, they're available. They're, uh, they're on those little round tables as you walk out. You can grab one of those on your way out today. We're on day 35, and uh, I won't ask you if you've caught up or not, because if you're not, I might, might be sad, and I'm happy right now. But the bottom line is we're not giving out trophies at the end on Friday. We're not uh, going to have a big celebration. I, my prayer in this is that, this is whet your appetite for the word. And then if you've kind of been out, of, and we, we all go through times where we get out of the habit of being in the word, that this will get you back in the habit. But what we've been doing over 40 days, we've been reading uh, through Proverbs and Ecclesiastes, which is wisdom. We've been reading through Psalms, which is worship. And we've been reading through uh, the New Testament books, which is the word. And last week we started looking at Romans. And I made a big mistake last Sunday because I thought, that I could preach an entire overview of the book of Romans in one Sunday. And that was mission impossible. Uh, we serve a God who does the impossible, but we, you have a pastor who cannot do the impossible. And so we broke, we're, we're going to break it down into chunks. So we looked at 1 through 4 last week. We're going to look at 5 through 8 today, and I think I can do 9 through 16 next week. But um, what we're doing here in the book of Romans is really just unpacking what all this means and how Scripture comes together. Some people would say that the book of Romans is the best book in the Bible. Some people, it's their favorite book because it, it kind of brings everything together. It takes everything that we, we read in the Old Testament and the law and how you get to God and bring it with what Jesus did on the cross and his resurrection. And Paul tells us how all that comes together. But to understand what Paul writes to us, we need to understand the context of this book of Romans, okay? So Romans was written by the Apostle Paul. He wrote it somewhere around 57 AD. He wrote it while he was on his third missionary journey. Uh, it is a letter. Romans is a letter. It doesn't feel like a letter because it's so long. A lot of Paul's other letters like Ephesians and Colossians and Galatians, they're shorter. They, they read like a letter. But this reads more like a theological essay, really, than a letter. And, but what Paul does in this book is he, he, he describes for us what we have as a result of what Jesus did on the cross. And I want to show you something. I mentioned it last week. But we're going to go, we're going to go kind of Sunday school style this morning because 
we're not having small groups in Sunday school right now, so we're going we're gonna to teach a little bit. We're going to go to a little Sunday school this morning. We're going to go to the back of the Bible, to the maps, all right? You ever look at the maps in the back? Maybe occasionally. I used to watch at, look at them as a kid if I got bored with the service, but hopefully you won't get bored today. But I'm going to give you the map. Check this out. This map shows us Paul's third missionary journey. Now, you don't have to really look at all the details, but the point being is that the, Paul went on three missions trips. It was on his third missions trip when he wrote this book to the Roman church. And you can see this, this tells us that he's been all over the place. And when you look at the next one, it takes a, a little bit wider shot of what we, just, what we just saw. And this is Paul's journey to Rome. And now in the upper left-hand corner of the map or the northwest corner, you see Italy is now in the map and you see Rome up there in the top corner. And you can tell that if you think about it, Paul didn't have planes, trains, or automobiles. He had his feet and maybe a horse and, and a boat. And he covered a lot of ground. His goal was to let the, that Roman world know that Jesus was the Messiah and that he could change their lives. Paul was specifically chosen by God. Paul was an apostle, but he was formerly Saul the Pharisee. And that's important to understand. We kind of unpacked that last week because he had the experience and the credibility of two worlds. Now, follow me this morning. This church that's in Rome is made up of two groups of people. There were Jewish Christians who were attending there who were Jewish Christ followers, and there were Gentile Christ followers in that church together. And the Gentiles had the viewpoint that, okay, we're free. We've, uh, we have Jesus. We don't have to follow the laws. But the Jewish believers said, no, not so fast, guys. You should still be following all the dietary laws and the circumcision laws and all the laws of the Torah and those 163 laws of Moses, you should be following all of those laws. And it created conflict. And so on two sides of the church, Paul's writing this church. And by the way, this was a church that Paul didn't plant. He planted a lot of those churches, but he didn't plant this one. This, one one that, this was one that was already there. None of the other disciples had visited it yet. And Paul was trying to send them some teaching. So he, he tells this church, and this is so important, to understand everything else we're going to say today, you must understand who he's writing to. So he's writing to a group of Jewish Christians and a group of Gentile Christians. Now, Paul, we know his name was changed from Saul to Paul. He had an encounter with Jesus that we learn about in Acts chapter 9 where his life was completely changed. And I believe that God specifically chose Paul for that time because he was able to stand between those two camps and bring about incredible credibility with his pedigree in his Jewish past and what Jesus had done in his life and transformed him into a Christian. It's kind of like uh, when a, let's say a football player who has great success in the NFL, he wins multiple Super Bowls, and then he goes on to be a color, a color commentator guy in the booth. You know, you know what I'm talking about, right? And, uh, and this guy's got some experience. And you guys who are football fans know that sometimes those guys do a good job, and sometimes those guys don't do a very good job. Now, one of my favorite color commentators is Troy Aikman. I'm not a, and he played for the Cowboys in the 90s. 
I don't like the Cowboys. I like them as much as I like the devil and the Patriots. Can I get a South Georgia amen? I don't like the Cowboys or the Patriots, but I do like Troy Aikman. He won three Super Bowls. He was on three really incredible teams in, in the 90s, and then he joins Joe Buck, who's a, who's a great commentator in my, in my playbook, and they, they do an incredible job. And, and I like listening to Troy because he's the kind of guy he played on the field. He knows how to read a defense from up top or, or on the field. He has some credibility, and, and he brings uh, some experience to the booth, and he communicates well. I think that's what the Apostle Paul was like because Paul had experience on the field. He had been a Jew of all Jews. He'd been a Pharisee. I mean, he, he was one of those who was running around killing Christians. And then he had a transformation where Jesus had kind of put him up in the booth and given him this vision to be able to see the entire Roman world and put a passion in his heart to tell everybody that Jesus was the Messiah. And that is where we see Paul. And we called this thing Fierce 40, but I'm going to tell you, there's nobody in the New Testament other than Jesus who is more fierce than Paul. He is intense, and he is determined. His eyes are set on this mission. He is going to tell everybody he can about Jesus. Now, as I was studying this, I ran across a resource. There's a group out there called The Bible Project. You may have seen some of their videos on YouTube. They do an unbelievable job of unpacking Scripture. And I studied behind them about Romans. So I want to give them some credit this morning because I'm going to use some of the things that I, that I learned from them and, and, and balancing that out with the Scripture today. But here's what, here's what I want you to see. The book of Romans is one long, flowing exploration of the gospel. It's Paul unpacking what Jesus did in light of the Old Testament scriptures. And in the book of Romans, you'll find Paul do four things. In chapters 1 through 4, Paul tells us that the gospel reveals God's righteousness. We looked at that last week. Today, we're going to look at chapters 5 through 8, where it tells us that the gospel creates a new humanity. And then next week, we're going to look at 9 through 11 and 16 through 12 through 16, where it tells us that the gospel fulfills God's promise to Israel and unifies the church. Now, last week, we, we used some signs to kind of help illustrate what we were talking about. And I'm going to have Chandler and, and Tim come and help me out. Chandler, if you'll grab those two, and Tim, if you'll grab uh, these two, and if you guys will hold them and make sure you got them in the right order, walk over here to the middle, and, and, and we're going to set this up for you. Uh, come over here to the middle, guys, and uh, you're good. Yeah, thank you. All right, come, come on over this way. Now, hold your signs up. We'll make sure we got this right, okay? So we got one, two, three, four now. Now, watch this, okay? Straighten that up. All right. So this is what I showed you last week, okay? And, and again, I want to say what I did last week. Our incredibly talented Pastor Josh, who, is, who just puts out some great stuff, you can tell he didn't do this. I did this, okay? This is, my, this is what you got if I was your creative pastor, so that's why I don't have that job. But I want you to see those first four chapters. This is where we landed last week. So let's review, okay? Romans chapter 1, Paul comes out of the gate, and the first thing he says is, I'm going to tell you about the power of the gospel. I'm going to tell you about Jesus. I'm going to tell you he's come to be the Messiah. He has come to change the world. And, and here we go. That's where he says in Romans 1.16, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God to transform the world. 
But then he takes a turn. And then he starts talking to the Gentiles. Now remember, he's talking to a church where half the room are Gentiles and half the rooms are, are Jews, uh, both Christians, and he says, well, let's talk about the Gentiles. The Gentiles are messed up, y'all. And, and in chapter 1, the rest of chapter 1, he runs a list that is a mile long, all the sinful things that the Gentiles have done, and he says the Gentiles are guilty of unbelievable sin. You can read the list in, in Romans chapter 1. Well, then when you turn to Romans chapter 2, he's been talking to the Gentile side of the church, and then he says, all right, let's go talk to the Jewish Christians on this side. And when he starts talking to them, he says, now, I know you guys are Jewish. You think you got it all together because you follow the law and all that. And you're probably sitting over here and say, yeah, 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 you guys are real guilty because you're Gentiles. Paul, in the beginning of chapter 2, looks at the Jews and said, you're guilty, but you're even more guilty than the Gentiles because you had the law. They have an excuse. They didn't have the law. You had the law, and you were as sinful as they were, if not worse. You, would, you did all kinds of crazy stuff in the Old Testament, and by the time he gets to the end of chapter 2, he comes with this conclusion. All humanity is trapped and guilty. That's where you need that price is right horn. You remember that horn from the Price is Right? You lose. Everybody loses because we're all guilty. We're all trapped. We're all in a mess. But in chapter 3, he says, guess what? God responded. God looked down at this mess and he said, there's only one way to fix humanity. And he turns and he sends his son Jesus to become humanity and Jesus comes and he begins to uh, to live the good news of the gospel and Paul begins to unpack what that means and then in chapter 4 Paul now remember we said he's got that on the field credibility and that booth credibility so on the field credibility Paul goes in his pedigree and his understanding of, of Jewish history he goes all the way back to Genesis chapter 15 and he talks about Abraham, and he says, do you remember in Genesis 15, Jewish people, Gentile people, that God walked Abraham out? He said, look at the stars of the sky, look at the sands of the sea. I'm going to make you a nation out of you. And Abraham was old, hadn't had any kids, and Abraham said, Yes, sir, Lord, I believe. And it was credited to him as righteousness and credited to him as faith. And because that happened, then Paul closes out chapter 4 and says, because of that, all are justified by faith. Now, this is what this means. Hold tight, guys. It means that God the Father, as the righteous judge, he walks to the judge's bench. He looks at the Gentile side of the church and he says, guilty chapter one God as the judge walks to the Jews side of, of the church and says guilty Romans chapter two but Jesus comes along and God the father realizes that all the laws and all these things they can't fix sin so he sends Jesus and because he sends Jesus he says now just like Abraham in Genesis 15 was justified by what? Faith, 
before the law. He didn't have the law to follow, and he was credited as righteous. I am going to credit you, God the Father, as righteous and justified when you believe in Jesus. So that means God the Father says, if you believe in Jesus as the Son of God and you accept him and you call to live with him, God the Father comes to the table now and he says, based on what Jesus did and your belief and acceptance of him, not guilty, not guilty. Look what he says. All are justified through what? Through faith, okay? All right, good job, guys. Put those down. Keep them in order. You'll be back shortly. All right? So then we get to Romans chapter 5, what we read a while ago. So we said that Romans 1, it's on the screen, through 4, the gospel reveals God's righteousness. Romans 5 through 8 tells us that the gospel creates a new humanity. Now, watch what Romans 5, 1 says. So, this is what Paul says, okay? He says, everything we just learned in Romans 1 through 4, he says, therefore, okay? Now, get used to that word because you're going to see that several times a day. One of my first pastors used to say this. If you ever see a therefore, you need to know what it is therefore, okay? That's a dad preacher joke, you know? You've heard of dad jokes? That's a dad preacher joke, okay? So Paul says, based on those four things, he says, therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by what, somebody? Faith. We have what? Peace with God, which is what we all want, right? Because of what Jesus Christ our Lord has done. Okay, so let me ask you, what has Jesus Christ our Lord done? Okay, well, Paul, you already told us that. You told us in chapter 3 that Jesus Christ our Lord, at God's response of humanity, came and gave his life, okay? But there's a little bit more to that, okay? Because Paul, having known the law, a Pharisee, a Pharisee, now Paul's really going to show off, okay? Because he doesn't just go all the way back to Genesis 15. In Romans 5, Paul goes all the way back to Adam. And he starts unpacking Adam. He says, Adam, the word Adam, we know it means humanity, but he says, Adam, like all of humanity, has chosen to live sinful and selfish. And so what he's saying is, because Adam, did Adam have the law? No. Did he have one rule to follow? Yes. Did he follow it? No. So he says, he says, guys, you know what happened with Adam? He had one rule to follow. Do not eat of that tree. And because he ate of the tree and was disobedient, then sin, it's like a, it was a, the ultimate domino effect. The dominoes fell all the way from him to us. And he says, now all humanity is born into sin because Adam made that one decision, okay? But look at what he says. He says, oh, we all become slaves to sin's disobedience. We're born with sin. We, with a sin nature, we face God's judgment, which means we're going to die. And then he says, but just like one man came along named Adam and brought sin, another man came along named Jesus and brought life. Look at this verse. This is incredible. Romans 5.18. Yes, Adam's one sin brings condemnation for who? Everyone. But Christ's one act of righteousness brings a right relationship with God and new life for who? Everyone. Because one person disobeyed God, many became sinners. All right, you, do, you, do you get that? Okay. 
Watch this. But because another one obeyed God, many will be made righteous. Did he say all would be made righteous? No. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, but not all are going to get to heaven. Not all are going to be in eternity. There is something you got to do, and he's going to tell us about that in a minute. But he says, because Adam stepped in, chapter 5, he says, therefore, all of this happened, okay? Through Adam, there was this domino effect of sin. But when Jesus came along, yeah, are we still born with a sin nature? Absolutely. But Jesus comes along and everything has changed because now Jesus stands as the new head of a new humanity, of new birth that can be transformed by the gift of Jesus. So basically, it's, uh, it's like this. Adam's one sin equals death, but Jesus' one sacrifice equals life. Romans chapter 5. Then Romans chapter 6, he turns over and he says this. Okay, now, church, listen to me. Jews, Gentiles, what I just explained to you, following Jesus means leaving that Adam-like humanity and entering into this Jesus-like humanity, and then he begins to unpack the meaning of water baptism to him. Okay, Rome, church at Rome, you've heard about this thing that we're doing where we're dunking people in water and all that. Let me tell you what Rome, what water baptism represents. And he says to them, this is a sacred symbol of this transition from, life, from death into life. Baptism represents the old humanity that it died with Jesus and the new humanity raised to life with Jesus. See, here's the thing. When Jesus as the second Adam, watch this, as the second Adam, Jesus comes along. And he steps into earth and he takes all of those generations of sins on himself. And then he dies on the cross. And when he dies, all of your sin and my sin died with it. It was buried in the tomb. And that's good. That's good so far. But the sin don't stay dead until he comes up. And Jesus rises from the dead. And so Paul says that act of him becoming the second Adam there is a cancellation that takes place and just like he was buried with all our sin when he was raised to life when we take you and we walk into this baptismal pool and we're going to do it in two weeks and those of you who've been baptized before I hope you realize what you were doing because that's not just something you do. It is an incredible symbol. To every, it's, there's not salvation in baptism. You're not, you're not, you don't have to be baptized to be saved. You will not find that in Scripture. Some traditions teach that. It's not in Scripture, okay? Boy, y'all are quiet. But what it symbolizes is what Jesus did for us. That when he went under the ground and was raised up to life, that he, was, he represents that freedom that we have. It's the point that we said last week. What's true of him is now true of us. Jesus became what we are so we could become what he is. Amen? That's good. That's good. Paul's, he's tearing it up. Look at Romans 6, 14. He says, for sin shall no longer be your master because sin was buried with Jesus. You don't have to live under that junk anymore because you're not under the law, but you're under grace. Anybody glad for grace? Romans 6, 23, he says, the wages of sin is death. There's a price to pay. 
but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. So chapter 6, he says, all right, leave the old humanity. Take on this new life in Christ. That's what water baptism represents, okay? Then he gets to chapter 7. Now, are you with me, Sam, with you? Okay, even if you're not, hang in there, all right? So Romans chapter 7, okay, he gets to Romans 7. And then he's looking at this crowd. Now remember, half of them are Jewish Christians, half of them are Gentile Christians. And he answers the question that's on everybody's mind. He says, I know y'all are wondering, if we're getting to this point, why did we have the law of Moses and the Torah? Why did we have all those in the first place? Why did we have all those years of the laws and disobedience to the law? Why did all of those things have to be in place from the very beginning? He said, here's why. First of all, he tells us in Romans chapter 7 that the law itself is good. The law shows God's will for how man should live. But the more laws Israel received, the more they sinned. The more they became like Adam the more they rebelled. And so the more moral rules that were on them, it didn't fix the problem because the problem was a problem of the what, somebody? A problem of the heart. And so paradoxically, the rules actually made Israel even more guilty, but the paradox was the point. God was trying to get them to see that we can add all these rules and you can follow all the rules you want and the New Testament bunch that Jesus was around had added things to the list. You can follow all the rules, but it does not change the heart. Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're like whitewashed tombs on the outside, but your inside are like dead men's bones. You can follow all the rules. We can lay them, and that's one thing. Unfortunately, that in the church, we can do a really good job of, of getting a lot of rules and regulations that we have to follow. So what happens is just like the early church, we can, we can base our relationship and that we're right with God based on the rules that we're following. And Paul says, uh-uh, that's not how it works. Watch this, Romans 7, 6, he says, Now we have been released from the law for we died to it and no longer captive to its power. Now we can serve God, not in the old way of obeying the letter of the law, but in the new way of living in the Spirit. And if you're familiar with Romans chapter 7, you'll remember, and if you've been serving God for any amount of time, you find yourself sometimes in Romans chapter 7 because it's kind of comforting to read it because Paul goes on and on about how, you know, I'm struggling with the flesh, what I want to do, I don't do, and the things I, I don't want to do, I do. Anybody remember that passage in Romans 7? And you're like, Paul, I'm with you, pal. I understand exactly how you feel. And Paul just goes through that. He says, I battle with the flesh. Even after all this, I battle with my flesh. But then he gets to Romans chapter 8. And he tells us that the solution for all of it has arrived. Not just in Jesus Christ, watch this, but in the Holy Spirit. And then Romans chapter 8 verse 1, we have another therefore. <laughs> so after all of that, unpacking all that, he says therefore, okay, if you're with me, he says therefore there is now, somebody say it with me, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Somebody say amen. 
See, what the law did, the law was like a, it was like a giant magnifying glass in the Old Testament that magnified all the sin and the problem of the human heart. And God chose the, his people, Israel. He knew how they were going to respond. He chose them and said, we're going to give them the law. But what that law did, it was a giant magnifying glass to say, you know what, you can add all the list, but the problem is the human heart. So in order to take care of that problem, we're going to have to send somebody to take care of it. And that's when it had to be a representative of Israel, which was Jesus Christ who came to take care of it. Now, here's what's amazing. We talked about that Paul in Romans chapter 4, he goes all the way back to Abraham. In Romans chapter 5, he goes all the way back to Adam. But if you read the book of Luke, we were talking about Luke a while ago in baby dedication. In the book of Luke, Luke has something pretty powerful, I think, along about chapter 3 or 4. He gives us the family tree of Jesus on his mama's side. And on his mama's side, you can trace Jesus' ancestry all the way back to the end of the line to Adam. Matthew traces it all the way to Abraham. So when you read the book of Romans, that's why I'm telling you, Romans is one of the best in the Bible. Romans, here along comes Paul in chapter 4, and he takes us to Abraham. In chapter 5, he takes us to Adam. And in chapter 8, he says, Jesus comes along down the line, perfectly human, perfectly half, I mean, fully God, fully man, steps into time, splits time in half, by the way, and becomes as Israel's representative to pay and deal with with sin for all time. Now watch this, Romans 8, 9. He says, but not just Jesus, because Jesus came and then he went back to the Father, right? But Romans 8, 9, he says, you, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the what? The Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. Romans 8, 12, and 13. Therefore, here's another one, therefore. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will what? Die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the mis misdeeds of the body, you will live. So this is what Paul is saying after all that. He's saying, okay, yeah, we're saying that you don't have to follow the letter of the law anymore, but does that mean that you're justified by God and God says, okay, you're not guilty. So go just live however you want to live and then you can go to heaven. Don't work that way, does it? And if there's a, a religion or a source out there that tells you it does, that I'm going to go ahead and say it. Once saved, always saved. That's not what my Bible says. Now, I believe, as I told the first service this morning, there's a whole lot more grace than I was taught when I grew up in the hard teachings in the church of God in the early days. There's a whole lot more grace, praise God, I believe, than, than we know about. But what he tells us in Romans chapter 8 is that you're not alone the Holy Spirit comes alongside. And the Holy Spirit is there that when you start stepping in a direction that you're not supposed to, it's no longer about I'm trying to check all the boxes and checking the boxes and doing everything right is what gets me to heaven. 
It's the fact that the Holy Spirit is speaking into my ear and in my spirit. And he's the one who says, Les, turn your head. Les, cut that off. Les, don't do that. Don't spend money on that. Don't go there. Don't look there. Anybody with me? It's the Holy Spirit who puts that check in your spirit. So it, it, freedom doesn't mean I'm free to just go do whatever I want to. And I'm covered by the blood and I'm in grace and it's all good. It don't work that way. Because the Holy Spirit living inside of me keeps checking me. He checks me often. Anybody? He says, okay, come on now. Get it right. And it's like what we've been saying about this fierce 40. When you read the word, the word does what? The Word will read you. And when I'm in the Word, that's what the Holy Spirit is doing. I'm reading it, and the Holy Spirit's reading it back, right back to me. I'm like, slow down, Holy Spirit. I can't handle all that at once. Let me work on one thing. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? That's how it works. And so Paul tells us after all of that, the Holy Spirit is at work in us. We're not, we don't have this obligation to the law. He says, now here's the, here's the final benefit. Watch this verse that he says here in Romans. Look at this. For those who are led by the what? The Spirit of God are the what? The children of God. Watch this. God's what? Covenant family. He's looking back to four. So those who are led by the children of God are the Spirit of God are children of God. And the Spirit you receive does not make you slaves to sin or the old law so that you live in fear. I'm, I'm afraid I'm going to break the law. I'm afraid I'm going to do something wrong. But rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption as what? Sons and daughters, so that now we can cry, Abba, Father. Okay? Now, now if, you're, if, you're, if you're tracking, this is a big deal. Because now this is a game, as we'd say, a game changer. Because now what has happened is Paul says, now there are benefits that come from being in the family. There are benefits that happen because now you've been brought into this family, Jewish Christians, Gentile Christians, Rankin Christians, South Georgia Christians. You've been brought into this family and you're under and in the family of God and you can call out to him, Abba, Father, and there are benefits when you're in the family. We were talking about this last night, uh, Tress and I were, and the boys came in. And uh, they sat down. I said, I, I want to ask you guys some questions. I said, what are some benefits that you have of being a Woodard, of being in our family? What are some family benefits? And uh, if you don't know about us, we've got three kids. My oldest son, Trent, is 22. He is uh, right now just graduated college. He's serving as a youth pastor in Richmond Hill at a, at a New Life Church of God. Our middle daughter is uh, 19. She's a sophomore at Lee University. And our son Brock is a senior at Effingham, and he was playing the drums this morning. And, and so Tress and I were talking about this last night about, you know, benefits. And so I, I looked at the boys, and I said, okay, boys, let's first talk about, you know, Tress is a teacher. She was a, a middle school teacher. She's a middle school teacher now. She was an elementary school teacher at Rankin Elementary for years. And what was really cool is when she was an elementary school music teacher, all the kids would come to school with her. And I said, so boys, what were the benefits of your mom being the teacher? And Trent said, well, we played kickball in the music room. Trent, Brock said, well, we played hide and seek all over the school when it was just the parents there, uh, the, the teachers there and, and their kids. And, uh, and, and Tressa said, Brock, you remember that one secretary down there who you would go down there when you were little and 
she'd give you all that candy. I'm like, yeah, there's another benefit. And then a few weeks ago, I don't know how this came about, but Jaden was telling us that uh, now, now y'all, y'all remember in elementary school, they used to have, I don't know if they still do it or not, they would have like the slush puppies you could get at lunch, you'd buy for a couple quarters. And then when they would come through, you could get Shocker. Anybody remember Shocker? And, and for an extra quarter, they, they would squirt this juice into that uh, slush puppy and it gave it that, I don't know, they had it at Rinkin Elementary School. Maybe they were the only ones selling Shocker in the county. Because some of you are like, what Shocker? But they were taking shots at Rinkin Elementary School. I saw those kids do it. Dad, can I have two quarters for two Shocker shots? So Jaden tells us that she said, this was a few weeks ago. She said, Mom, I don't know if you know this, but when you used to have those PTA programs and we'd be hanging out in the cafeteria, I'd go over there to the corner where the shocker shots were and I'd hit me some shocker shots. <laughs> like, crazy. So those are some benefits. I said, well, I said, well what are some benefits of some, you know, benefits of growing up in the church, you know? We got talking about that, and I'm like, you know, we were youth pastors for 16 years. Our kids came to all the lock-ins. They went to a lot of the trips. So, I mean, they'd be up all night with all the other kids. They, they had a lot. They had a great experience. We're, we were blessed with a great experience. Our kids growing up in church. We have a, every month we have a leadership team meeting at our house with our staff. We pray and plan and talk about the things of the church. And y'all know we eat. And, uh, and I don't know how they do it. But, it, but our kids always know, because they're upstairs hanging out, about the time that we're eating, they come down and they get themselves a plate. I'm like, okay, that's a benefit. That's a benefit of, of growing up in the church. Pastor Appreciation Day, our kids will get a gift. You guys are, are good to them about that. A lot of gifts. And, and so I said, what about being a part of the family? Well, well Trent said, well, Mimi's, that's my mom. She, he said, Mimi's sweet tea, Dad. Mimi's sweet tea is a benefit of being the family. And Brock said, Grandma, which is Tressa's mom, he said, Grandma always takes us out to eat free Mexican. She pays for it all the time. I said, well, that's a benefit of being in the family. Absolutely. And then we started talking about benefits of growing up in our home. Tressa said, you know, our kids have been in church their entire lives. It's all they know. Whew, that's a benefit. It's what you guys did this morning. Foundation and stability. Three generations now. On praise God, both sides of our families—three to four generations—who know the Lord. But as we sat there and shared about that, Trent said, "My oldest son," he said, "Dad," he said. I can tell you that a benefit has been I've watched through the years as you guys have moved as we've moved places as a family he said I've watched God provide in amazing ways when we needed jobs you needed jobs and we were needed a house and we needed uh, provision for this or that he said I've watched as God has provided for us and it took me back in my mind to 10 years ago when we reached a crucial place in our ministry, didn't know what was next for us. And the Lord, our kids were little and we were moving. It's like, God, what are you doing? And God just laid it all in place. Six years ago when God called us back here to put us in a position to be your pastor, there were four or five things we were praying for as a family. And I was getting so stressed in my spirit over it and we were getting ready to move. The deal was done. We were moving, but we needed, she needed a job. We needed a house. 
There was multiple things. We were trying to get the kids and all these things. And we made prayer cards. I made took index cards and wrote a list of the things we were praying for. And I gave them to all of all three of my kids and trust. I said, let's start lifting these things in prayer. I'm here to tell you this morning that over probably a 48-hour period, all four or five things, boom, 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 boom. And my kids had a front row seat to say that, to see that. And last night, my 22-year-old son, that's what he said. He said, Dad, I've seen, that's a benefit of seeing how God moves, how God provides. Now, look at that screen, y'all. All this to say this. All those things happened so that we are brought under this umbrella. There's not any Jewish people here today, probably. So we who were once not a people, far from God, not the people of God. As Paul will go on to say, I think in chapter 11, are now grafted into the vine. We were not once a people, but now we are a people. And now we all can cry out, Abba, Father. Now watch this. Come on, worship team. Get in place. Now, I want you to see this. So Romans chapter 8. If you've, if you've been a long-time Christian, you know that Romans chapter 8 has some of the most quotable verses in all of Scripture. And if you're following along this morning, you're probably thinking, you've not talked about the best verses, some of the best verses in the whole Bible in Romans chapter 8. Les, why, why haven't you talked about that yet? Because often we talk about those verses and it's like I preached last Sunday they're scripture snippets we take them and we say them but we really don't understand the context but when we understand the context of where they come from they have so much more meaning so watch this Romans 8 14 go back one more Jack I'm sorry we just established it we cry Abba Father so now you and I We've all stepped under that umbrella that we can call him Father. What did I say? There are certain what? Benefits. There's benefits in the house of the Father. Watch. Here's those verses you want. 828. God works for the good of those who love him and been called according to his purpose. Benefit. Romans 831. Benefit of being in the Father's house. If God is for us, who can be against us? Romans 8.35, family benefit. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Romans 8.37, in somebody say all, all these things, we are more than conquerors. Come on, guys, help me out. If you'll grab the two in the middle, Caleb, if you'll grab those two on the end, and I want y'all to see this, okay? Watch. Here's where we've gone. In eight chapters. He started by telling us he was going to. My goodness gracious. Just hit me. Out of the gate, what does Paul say? He is going to show us the power of the gospel. Do I need to go through the rest of that? Oh my goodness. But before he does it, he paints a bleak picture. The Gentiles are guilty. 
Jews, you're even more guilty. And all humanity is trapped and guilty. And I almost wonder if, I'm glad God made that promise to Noah and said, never again will I destroy the earth. Because there's many times he probably said, I'm done. <laughs> but Romans chapter 3, Paul says, God's response, the God who looks down at all of it, and what was his response to all of it? He said, come on, son. This is where you step in. From the beginning of time, this was the plan. The Lamb of God slain from the foundation of the world. Come on, Jesus. Become humanity. Step in. And the good news of Jesus hits the planet. And it connects, Paul says, all the way back to Genesis 15, to the promise <laughs> that, that Abraham was given. That the, Even in his old age with no children, that the sands of the sea and the stars of the sky would become a great and mighty nation. And they would be justified through faith. De therefore, everybody say therefore. Therefore, Adam's one sin, domino effect, brought death. Jesus' one sacrifice brought life. Romans chapter 6. As a result, he says, leave this old humanity of Adam behind and pick up a new humanity that is represented in water baptism. Okay? Romans chapter 7. Okay? I, I, I'll pause. Guys, when you talk about the law because you're wondering why do we need the law? We needed the law to show us that the law and the rules won't work. That it has to be something greater. The laws and rules cannot fix a sinful human heart. Therefore, somebody say therefore. Therefore, God sent his son to be born of a woman that at the right time he would come and walk on this earth and give his life and look at his disciples and say I will not leave you comfortless I will send the Holy Spirit to empower you and transform your heart and now you are adopted as children with benefits of the Father hallelujah come on stand on your feet this morning Come on, let's say it. I search the world. I couldn't fill me. empty praise and treasures of faith are never enough. And you came along.
looking around this morning if you bow your heads and close your eyes for just a moment here as we come to the end of the service is there anybody here today who would say pastor I've heard it I've listened to it today and I need to make a decision for Christ maybe at one point you were following Christ and you had accepted and declared that Jesus was the Lord of your life and you had made a decision to follow him but you've walked away from that or maybe you've never made that decision. Maybe you're watching the live stream today and the Holy Spirit is speaking to you right now and you know you need to make a decision for Christ. You need to make some things right all over the house and those who are watching live. If you need to make that decision right now, I want to pray with you and I want to pray that God will transform your heart and do what you've heard talked about this morning, what you've heard sung about this morning, what's been celebrated here today. If that's you today, I'd like to pray with you. I promise not to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you to the front. I'm going to pray with you right where you are. I don't ask you to raise your hand and put it right back down. If, if I can pray with you today for you to make a decision for Christ, will you do that today? Anybody here today that needs to make that decision for Jesus, thank you. I see a hand right now that's up. Anybody else today who needs to make a decision for Christ today needs to make a decision. Yes, I see another hand this morning. Anybody else? says I need to make a decision for Christ today to make Jesus the Lord of my life my life is a mess my life is a mess without him and I need to make some things right anybody else oh praise God for these two hands that went up this morning we're going to pray this prayer together maybe you're standing here and you don't have the courage to raise your hand but the same Holy Spirit we've been talking about this morning your heart is about to beat out of your chest right now that's the Holy Spirit letting you know you need to pray this prayer. Even if you didn't raise your hand, you can pray this prayer with us right now. And God will transform your life as he's done ours. Can we pray this together? Repeat after me. Dear God, I'm a sinner. I'm sorry for my sins. God, forgive me. I believe that Jesus Christ is your son. I believe that he took my sins to the cross. That he died in my place. And I believe you raised him to life. I'd like to trust him now as my Savior. And I want to follow him as my Lord. From this day forward, in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Somebody give the Lord praise today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now before we go, I want to pray one more prayer with you today. I want to pray what we just sang. 
Maybe there's somebody here this morning, you know the Lord, but you need some mourning to be turned into dancing. You need some graves to be turned into gardens. You know, you believe in the Lord, but, but your life is just kind of dry, like those dry bones we sang about. And this morning, the, the Lord's speaking to you, and you say, Pastor, will you pray for me? I just need renewal in my spirit today. Anybody brave enough to say that? Thank you. Man, a lot of hands going up. All up. Hallelujah. Oh, thank you, God. Thank you, God. Holy Spirit, right now, you see every hand that's up in this room. People just quickly, yes, yes, that's me. God, sometimes we get to that place and life just wears us out. So God, I pray this morning over every person and every life today, God, who finds himself in that place where they're doing more mourning than dancing, where things are more dry than alive. Holy Spirit, breathe life into those situations. Lord, breathe life where there's doubt and worry and fear. Bring encouragement and bring strength. Lord, for those who are at home today and they're with us and they're watching, God, I pray right now they may, they may feel alone and, and God, just far away from you, that you would encourage them, that your presence would fill their hearts and their lives right now, God. We thank you, Lord, for that. And we ask you, Lord, right now just to bring renewal, renewal in their lives, renewal in their lives, God. What we just saying, God, you are able to do it. You're the only one who can God, we thank you and praise you for that. Hallelujah. Oh, there's nothing saying better than you. There's nothing better than you. There's nothing. Nothing is better. Just say than that. You. We're just gonna sing that. Just that part. Oh, there's nothing better than you. There's nothing better than you. There's nothing. Nothing is better than you. God, as we go from this place today, may your Holy Spirit walk with us, move in us, transform our hearts. May we never be the same after the word we've heard today. May we leave knowing, God, that we walk and move and live under the benefits of sonship and daughtership. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. It's great to have you in worship today. We hope to see you back next Sunday or Wednesday night. God bless you.